You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4 and we'll read down to verse 10. This is God's word. As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here This morning, and I pray that right now through your Holy Spirit, that you will work in our hearts, that you will take the message that you have for us, and that you will drive it into our hearts, and that you will transform us so that we can become the men and the women, so we can become the church that you have created us to be, a church that is for our good and ultimately for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. I've shared with you all before, you probably already know this, but my favorite part of school growing up was when it was over. Um, Really, the the only two classes I excelled at was recess and PE. Um, And other than recess and physical education, I really just wasn't a great student. And, um, you know, my teachers would blame this on my ADD, but I would blame this on, on them not knowing my learning style. Because if you know me, like you just know, like God did not create me to sit in a chair for an hour while someone talks to me about Romeo and Juliet. Okay, which is funny that I ended up marrying an English teacher, by the way, because there were many times that she would come home and be like, oh, so we just read this wonderful story, you know, it's called To Kill a Mockingbird, and I'm like, what's that? And she's like, are you kidding me, Jared? Like, To Kill a Mockingbird? Everybody's read To Kill a Mockingbird. It's like, well, my English teacher didn't have us read To Kill a Mockingbird, and then one day we ran into my English teacher, and she was like, actually, like, yes, Jared did not read To Kill a Mockingbird, but the rest of the class did, right? And so, like, I just didn't do a lot of homework, wasn't super engaged, but... Whenever the teacher would say, hey, now's the time for a group project, then I would instantly be engaged. Now, some of you in here, like, you hated group projects. And the reason you hated them is probably because of people like me was in your group, okay? <laughs> but when it comes to group projects, there's basically, you're one of three people. You're either a, a, a doer, right, which is like the person that's like, okay, we got to make sure and get this done. we got to do just as the teacher has told us to do. Or you're a talker, which... You know, I'm, you're probably going to think I'm all three of these. I'm actually, I was just kind of a talker in high school. But there's the talker, and then there is the, the helper. And, and, and the helpers were awesome, by the way, because they're the ones that's like, I'll go get the poster board for you. I'll do whatever you need. By the way, if you're in here and you're one of those people, would you please reproduce yourself? Like, we need more helpers in this world, okay? So you're either a doer, you're a talker, or you are a helper. And the thing is, you know, when it came to working together as a group, because we were all wired a little differently, sometimes it would be awkward, sometimes it would be uh, difficult, it would be messy. 
right? But in the end, if we would work together, in the end, if we would all embrace our roles, what would happen? It would be a beautiful thing, right? We would complete the assignment that the teacher gave us, and everyone would be happy. Now, here's the reason I share that. The assignment that Jesus has given the church is a group project. Some of you are like, no, no, it isn't. Yes, yes, it is, right? It is a group project that we are all invited into, and that's exactly what Peter gets at in our text today in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Notice he says that as you come to him, speaking of Jesus, I think it's so important that we get that before we go any further, that Christianity is not a one-time event. It's not just a prayer that we are to pray. It's not like you just walk down an aisle and you give your life to Jesus one time and you say, okay, now I'm done. But Christianity is something where whenever you experience Jesus as he really is, when you see him as the one who not only can save you in your afterlife, but can satisfy you now, you want to continue going to Jesus. That's what the author says here. As you go to him, notice what he says next. As you go to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, what in the world is Peter talking about here? What he is saying is this, is that when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, he says in here, the metaphor he uses is we become like a living stone. And as we continue to go to Jesus with other living stones, as we continue to rally around him with other Christians, he says that we are built into a spiritual house, into this temple, right? And for some of you, you're like, okay, well, what does that exactly mean? Well, to the people that Peter was writing to, it made perfect sense. A temple was a place that you would go to to encounter the presence of God in a way that you could not apart from the temple. And what Peter is saying here is that whenever we rally around Jesus with other Christians, we are built into a spiritual house, into a temple, where people can experience the presence of God in a real and profound way. In other words, what Peter is saying is that Christianity is a group project. He's saying if you are a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. You are a living stone, and by yourselves, you may not seem like much. You may not be that impressive, but when we come together, he says we are built into something where people can experience God in a way that they cannot when we are living isolated, very separate lives. What that means then is this idea that Christianity is just about me and my own personal relationship with Jesus that's a very American idea. It is not a biblical idea. This idea that all that matters is that I pray a prayer, maybe I show up once a week, and then I just go do my own thing is not something that we can find in scriptures. The truth is, by ourselves, right, we are stones. And if you just see a stone, like a stone is not really that impressive when itself, but when it is being built together, when we are coming together, not just here on Sundays, but when we are living in community throughout the week, what Peter says is people can experience the presence of God right here in our city. What that means is, guys, you matter. You matter to this church. And then he goes on, and he says, not only are we like a living stone, but in verse 5, 
He says you were also being built into a spiritual house, but he says you were being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, for most of us, again, we're not that familiar with what it means to be a priest, right? But if I can sum it up for you, and I will, a priest is simply, in the Old Testament, was someone whose main job was to bridge the gap between God and man. Okay, that was the... Do I need to switch over? Oh, okay. They're telling me I need to switch over. They're waving at me back there. I'm like, okay. Check. One, two. I have no idea what's going on right now. Does this sound better to y'all? Get this thing off of me. All right. Hang on one second. How you doing, Randy? You feeling good? Awesome. Good to see you. Hey, um, where were we? So, a priest. The job of a priest in the Old Testament was to bridge the gap between God and man. They were to help take people who were far from God and bring them close into a relationship with Him. And one of the ways, really one of the main ways they did this was through what the Bible would call animal sacrifices. Okay, It is where they would take an animal, and it was a symbolic act. They would in faith shed its blood for the forgiveness of sins. And this is one way that they could help people experience the presence of God. And what's amazing in our text is if you notice again, Peter says, if you've given your life to Jesus, this is your role. This is who you now are. He says that you and I are a priest. Together we are called to help bridge the gap between God and man for people in our city and beyond so the people who are far from him can be brought near. Now listen to me carefully. That, that does not mean that you should just run out and go kill your dog. Okay? If you have a cat, maybe. But it doesn't mean that you should just run out and we should like start engaging in animal sacrifices. Okay? Maybe in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. For the New Testament, what we need to see in here is that we are, as priests, not called to sacrifice animals. He says, though, that we are to be offering up, verse 5, a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 12. I don't know if if Ryan can throw it on the screen for you, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There is an idea that you have to wrap your mind around today that in the New Testament, we no longer have to make animal sacrifices, but we are called to lay down our entire lives for Jesus. We are called, listen to me guys, to lay down our dreams, to lay down our ambitions to lay down our schedules and our budget, to lay everything that we have at Jesus' feet and say that I now release my rights to you. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. It's to say to Jesus, I am dying to how I think my life should work best and I'm trusting everything that I have with you. Jesus, I know I won't be perfect, I know that I'll still make mistakes, but on a daily basis, I want to be growing and increasingly bringing all of my life under your lordship. What I want to ask you this morning, as though I'm in front of a crowd, I'm in front of a crowd of individuals, is this true of you? Have you come to a place in your life where you've done something like this? 
I'm not saying that you will be perfect. All of us in here still struggle with sin. Amen? All of us have room for improvement. But have you come to a place where you have said, Yes, Jesus, I want to lay down my entire life for you. I don't just want to give you this part of my life. As we sung earlier, I want to surrender all. As you know, many of you know my testimony, and I've shared it before, and I will unapologetically share it again. And by the way, let me just say this real quick, side note. If you are a Christian, you have a testimony. You have a story to tell, and it's powerful. Never be ashamed of your testimony. I don't care if you were saved, like basically like out of the womb, the doctor slapped you, and you're like, Jesus, you know, like, or if you were saved later in life. But if you're a Christian, you have a story to tell. And I would encourage you to tell that story. Many of you have heard my story. You know I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor. And I was there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night at a church service. But here's the problem. Though I knew about God, I did not know God. I did not worship God. For me, I wanted to give Jesus my Sunday. Sure, right? Like That's like basic Christianity. The least I could do is give him my Sunday. The problem is I didn't want to give him my everyday. I wanted to give him my afterlife. Because who wants to go to hell? But I didn't want to give him this life. And it wasn't until I was 20 years old that God used a series of events to break things in me that desperately needed to be broken. And I cried out to God in desperation. I said, God, you've got to help me. I don't care if I get that girl. I don't care if I never get married. I don't care if these friends leave me. I don't care if this following you means taking a job where I get less money. I don't care if it means I have to leave my family and everything that I've ever known. God, I just know that I need you. And you're enough. Have you come to that place yet where you have experienced God in this way? I went my whole life, 20 years, coming to something like this and never experiencing God. Hearing people talking about Him, but it wasn't until I was 20 that I experienced His presence and His power in my life in a way that is still changing me today. I mean, I still haven't recovered from it. The question is, has this happened to you? Have you released your entire life to Jesus? Hey, will you look right at me real quick? Some of you in here assume you have, and you haven't. Please, as a loving father, I'm calling you today. The scripture is calling you today. Let go of your life. Entrust it with Jesus. If you have done this, Peter says it makes you a living stone being built into a spiritual house. It makes you a priest among priests called to offer your life as a living sacrifice so that people who are far from God can be brought near. Guys, this is the reason we are left on this earth. Do you understand that? Despite what the American dream tells you, please hear me. I promise you, you are not left on this earth just to graduate, get a degree, Start a job, get a wife or a spouse and some kids, and then eventually retire, die, and leave everything with somebody else who will probably just blow it anyway. As fun as that all seems, you were created and you were left here for more than that. You are here so that you can help people experience the author of life, the presence of God. We are here as a church to help people meet the real Jesus so that they can experience the joy they are searching for that can only be found in Him. The question is, how in the world are we going to do this as everyday normal people? I mean, look at us, right? I mean, some of us don't look normal, but most of us look pretty normal. How in the world are we going to 
as someone who works in a factory or teaches school or whatever it possibly, or, or is just going through the busyness of life, how in the world can we do this? And again, Peter says one of it is by just offering your life as a living sacrifice wherever you are. And that's going to look different for all of us. It's to say, whenever you're in that line at Walmart, Jesus, what does it look like for me to lay down my life right now for your glory while I'm here? It's whenever you go to school and you teach, what does it look like for me to lay my life down for your glory here or when you're in the factory or wherever you may be, a stay-at-home mom? Part of it is just by giving up your life, but it doesn't stop there because in verse 9, if we go on, he says again, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sure, one way that we can help people experience the presence of God is by living in a way that glorifies him. But you know the other thing that we must do if people are going to experience the presence of God? The scripture says we must open up our mouths and talk about God. We must open up our mouths and talk about who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. And listen, I know when I say that, some of you just shudder. You're like, Jared, are you talking about evangelism? You know, some of you, it's like you just are scared to death of talking about Jesus. And I get it, guys. I get it. Part of it's because of guys like me who has just absolutely devastated people with, with just ridiculous antics when it comes to evangelism. Most of you know I used to teach an evangelism class. And literally there was a time where I made a 75-year-old woman that went to my class go to the Franklin Apartments and share the gospel with someone at 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. Like, you think she was creeped out. Like, imagine the guy who opens the door when a 75-year-old woman looks at you, and her first line is, if you were to die tonight, what would you do? All right? Like, that's creepy. Some of you, you've been on the side of being forced. Like, man, if you love Jesus, you've got to share the whole gospel presentation right here on the spot. Look to transition somehow. You know, and some of you have been on the other side where it's like, I'm just trying to have dinner with my family for the first time, and someone's knocking on my door and, like, trying to, like, force themselves in, right? Ask me what I'm going to do if I die. And because of that, like we swung the pendulum to this other side where it's like, I'm just not going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to live in such a way where they're going to look at my life and say, man, that person must be a Christian. I want Jesus. And I want you to hear me very clearly. I love what our missional communities are doing in this city. I love all the good works that we get to see that I believe does glorify God. But I've said it once and I'll say it again. If we can, we can feed people all day long, but if we don't give them Jesus... You know what's going to happen? They're going to die with full bellies but empty souls. We can sit with people in the nursing home and love on them when nobody else will, but if they don't have Jesus, they're going to spend an eternity in loneliness. We can help recovering addicts. We can teach people life skills, but if we do not give them Jesus, we're just sustaining them in another form of hopelessness. That is why Paul says what he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. I believe we can put it on the screen. Do we have that? Romans chapter 10. How then will we call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How will people in parable know about the hope that is found? Not simply by us doing good works, but by us opening our mouths and telling people about Jesus. 
Guys, listen to me. If you are a Christian, you, listen, you are a minister. You are a priest. And you are called to, by God, to walk and to talk in such a way that people can go from worshiping the creation to worshiping the creator. To experiencing the life that they have been longing for. And that's why I think, honestly, and really it's one of the reasons we planted the church. I think one of the saddest realities right now in the religious south is that we have a church building on every corner field with unemployed ministers. With people who show up each week and really have believed the lie that does not come from scripture. But has believed the lie that my job really is just to show up and to let the paid professional teach me everything. Sing a few songs and then go live however I want while the paid professionals go do all the ministry throughout the week. Do you realize how unbiblical that is? The reality is, guys, if you are here, you are called to this group project. You are needed here to participate in God's grand plan and his mission of making his name, of making his glory spread throughout the nations. And I want you to just listen to me carefully. There are a lot of churches, I promise you, if you are looking to just be entertained or looking for a place just to sit once a week and kind of punch a Jesus card, I'm telling you, there are many churches around that you can find that will let you do that, no questions asked. This is not one of those churches. And do you know why? Because we love you. Because we believe the scriptures and we want to, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, help you grow up into full maturity. I worked for Arkansas Counseling for six years. And one of the most devastating things ever was whenever I had to go into a home and take children out of the home and put them in foster care. Because their parents, because of whatever reasoning, were neglecting the kids, were not able to give them the love they need, were not basically able to even give them a chance to grow up to be the men and women that they should be. And we look at that a lot and we say, oh, how awful. But do you realize the same thing's happening in the church all the time? And the fact that we have leaders who are doing nothing to equip people to grow up to be the men and women that God has created them to be. There's no level of accountability to help you grow up into full maturity. This is what Paul actually addresses in Ephesians chapter 4. I think we can put it on the screen for you. In Ephesians 4 verse 11, it says that God has given to the church some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Don't get too confused by that. Basically, what what Paul is saying is that different leaders, God has given different giftings. For me, I I firmly believe God has given me the gift of apostleship. I don't mean that like big A apostle like we see in the early church, but a little A apostle, just meaning God has given me the ability to, to start new things to lay a foundation, to make sure I'm guarding the vision of the church and that we're moving forward in the mission. So God has given every leader certain gifting. And why has he given us that gifting? So that we can go make all the hospital visits? So that we can go be the ones that knock on the doors and share the gospel with your friends? So that we can be the only ones who counsel people and and, and tell them, right, the good news of the gospel? No. Why has he given leaders to the church? Look what he says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. And then look in verse 14 or verse 15 and following. So that we can speak the truth in love. And as we do this, are growing up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You are a saint. You are a minister. You are a priest. And my job as a leader and Luke's job and the leaders in this church, our goal is to help build you up so that you can experience full maturity so that we can be a people who make Jesus known to our community. I don't know if you've been to the gym recently. One of my favorite characters in the gym is the glamour muscle guy. Anybody know the glamour muscle guy? Like, he only works like the muscles that the girls dig the most, or at least an article that he read that says the girls dig, you know? So it's like, he's only going to work out his pecs, his shoulders, and his biceps. And if you look at him, right, it's so funny because usually you'll kind of catch those guys like looking in the mirror as they walk by, like flexing their muscles or whatever else, which actually, do you remember a couple weeks ago, Matt Jackson and I were working out, there was a guy, he wasn't even trying to be like, you know, like high that he was flexing. He literally pulled off his shirt in the gym and it began to flex, didn't he? I'm making this up, begin to flex. And like all these people are walking by looking at him and I was like, all right. And so anyway, that's nothing to do. Well, kind of has to do with the story. But um, <laughs> anyways, so we've all seen those guys, right? And you look at them from the waist up and their body could go on a poster. But you look at them from the waist down and you see the whole body, it's like they belong in a cartoon. It's like they never work their legs, just their upper body. And so because of that, they look top heavy. Like I mean, it doesn't look healthy at all. And you see what Paul is telling us is that as pastors, pastors exist to make sure the body of Christ doesn't look like that. Pastors exist so that we can make sure that as a church, every part is healthy and growing into full maturity to look more and more like Christ to the world around us. The truth is, guys, if we are ever going to saturate this city with the gospel, we have got to embrace this reality. If we are ever going to see God's kingdom come to Paragold and Jonesboro and beyond, and his kingdom, his will being done here in this city and beyond as it is in heaven, if we are ever going to experience this, we must realize this church is a group project. You have a role to play. And doesn't that excite you, by the way? Like, how boring would it be if this was the point of Christianity? Like, you just come in each week and hear me speak. As much as I would like to think, like, you really are like, I can't wait for Sunday to hear Jerry preach, right? The reality is, like, wouldn't that be boring? Like, if that was the point, that was the echelon of Christianity, was to come here and just sing a few songs and listen to some preaching. Guys, we must embrace this idea that we are living stones called together. So people can experience the presence of God. We are priests who have been given specific gifts and functions to build each other up so that we can move forward together in the mission of making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in this city. And can you just imagine like how different our lives would be if we believed this? And as a result, how different our city would be? I mean, can you imagine like if, if as a parent, you stop believing that your primary identity is a parent who just so happens to be a priest, and you flip that, and you said, actually, I'm a priest that just so happens to be a parent. You know what happened? Rather than just, like, raising up kids to, like, go off to college someday, you would realize that you're to raise up arrows, that you're to shoot out into the world to impact others for the glory of God. Imagine if you believe this. Like, if you didn't go to work tomorrow thinking, ah, really, I'm just an employee. If you believe, actually, I'm a priest that God just so happened to call here, imagine you wouldn't just go to work saying, well, I've just got to clock in, make some money so I can pay the bills. Instead, you would say, man, no, I'm here to shine light into the darkness. Imagine, I mean, if you 
if we believed this when it came to interacting with one another. Right? Rather than just always talking about sports, which, by the way, I love, and hunting and fishing and all this stuff that in the end really isn't going to matter. You know what we would actually do? We would talk about the gospel with each other. And not just whenever the missional community leader said, hey, it's time to talk about the gospel. Right? We would look for ways to minister to one another, to help each other grow up into full maturity in Christ. Guys, this is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to be on the mission that Jesus has called us to. And as we said in the last couple of weeks, this is going to be messy. It is going to be difficult. It is going to be hard. And that is why, as we see in verse 4, Peter, I believe, tells us that we need to go to Jesus over and over and over. The one whom he says in verse 5 is our cornerstone. When Peter says that Jesus is our, is our cornerstone, you know what he means there? The readers would have understood. Because in ancient times, if you were going to build any structure, you had to have a perfect cornerstone or your structure was going to be imperfect. If you did not have a perfect cornerstone, a strong cornerstone, what would happen is, for example, if you had an imperfect cornerstone, you would have an imperfect structure. If you had a cracked cornerstone, you would have a cracked foundation, a cracked structure. And what Peter is pointing us to here is the wonderful reality that we have Jesus Christ who is the perfect cornerstone. He is the one that he is telling us in here that we are to build our lives on. And when we do, it is a promise that we have in the scripture that no matter how hard the winds blow, no matter how much the earth around you shakes, if you are building your life on Jesus, no matter what, you will stand. I've so needed to be reminded of this this past week. If I can just be completely honest with you, every time we have sound problems over the last couple weeks here, I've just had to fight my flesh. I've been so mad about it, so frustrated. In fact, I told my wife a couple weeks ago, because several of you had told me how bad the sound was, you're like, I just almost had to, like I had to leave the room. It was so bad. And I left and I told my wife, I said, literally, that was... And I, it's crazy this is coming to my mouth when I said it, but I'm just being honest with you. I told her, I said, uh, a few weeks ago when we had made the major sound issues, I said, literally, this is my exact phrase, that's the most frustrating moment I've ever had in ministry in my entire life. And you look at that, you're thinking, oh my gosh. Why? Let me tell you why. Because somewhere along the way, as I begin to put more and more time in the last few months over getting this building ready for our first gathering here, you know what happens the more time you put into something? You know what it, the more likelihood it's going to become your cornerstone. And what had happened for me is this gathering became a cornerstone to me functionally to where I began to believe the lie that if this thing falls apart, the whole church is going to fall apart. And because it began to crack, guess what happened to my joy? It began to crack. Because it began to shake, guess what happened to my life? It began to shake. Listen to me. I know most of you have not made this Sunday gathering your cornerstone. But all of us have a functional cornerstone in our life this morning. For some of you, it's your children. I love my kids. So much. I would die for them in a second. 
And I know all of you love your kids, but listen to me. If your kids become your cornerstone, what are you going to do if you have to bury your kids someday? You understand that's a reality, right? You'll bury all of your hope and all of your dreams and all of your joy and all of your peace with them. What's going to happen if you make your job your cornerstone and you get demoted? Or you make it your bank account and maybe say you do get all that money. What are you going to do with that money when you get it? Get a bigger house? Get more stuff? What are you going to do with that stuff? For some of you, it's your status. I don't know what it may be for you this morning, but listen, all of us have a functional cornerstone in our life, and unless it is Jesus Christ, that thing will eventually crush you. Peter says Jesus Christ is the only perfect cornerstone. He is the only one that we can build our lives on and know that no matter what, as he says in verse 6, we will not be put to shame. To know that no matter what, no matter how, how, how big the storm may be or how much the earth may shake, that in the end, if we are trusting in Christ, our joy will not fade, our peace will not crumble, and our lives ultimately will not be crushed. This is a message fellowship that we need to be reminded of over and over again because I think we believe it about that much. And you know why I can say that? Because your pastors can say that about us. I get it. It is hard to believe this on a regular basis, but please hear me guys, if we ever try to make this building our cornerstone, it's going to crush us. If we even try to make missional communities our cornerstone to think like, oh, man, a missional community, that's what's going to save me. That's what's going to give me peace. Like, no, like we must make Jesus Christ our cornerstone. And when we do and we build our church on him and our lives on him, the Bible is clear that even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So the question is, how do you make Jesus your cornerstone as we come to a close this morning? And here's how. It's by, as Peter says in verse 5, or verse 4, that he was the cornerstone who was rejected for you. Jesus Christ was rejected by man, and he would go to the cross and eventually be rejected by his Father so that you could be accepted by him. Jesus Christ is the one that before he ever said, I want you to lay down your life for me, he laid down his life for you. And then he didn't just stay dead. He went to the grave and three days later he rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that now we can rest assured that no matter what happens in this world, if we are trusting in him, those things will not conquer us.